Welcome to Keep Calm and Cook On. I am your host, Julia Tertian. Thanks to OXO, one of the most trustworthy brands I know, for making this episode possible. For more about OXO and all of the everyday objects they make, head to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. My guest today is Patty Hinech. Patty was born and raised in Mexico and now lives in Washington, D.C. After receiving her master's in Latin American studies from Georgetown, she worked as a political analyst. In her words, after obsessively thinking about food rather than politics, she attended a night program at culinary school, and then she started doing live cooking demonstrations and started a food blog. This was all the groundwork for Patty's Mexican Table, her PBS television series that has aired for nine seasons and gets nearly 30 million views in the United States. The show has received three James Beard Awards for Best Culinary Television Program, and she has also won the award for Outstanding Television Personality. The show has also received three Daytime Emmy nominations, and it's streamed in 80 countries worldwide. Patty is also a celebrated cookbook author, and she is the mother of three sons. Like so many other viewers, my wife Grace and I have seen every single episode of Patty's Mexican Table, and we look forward to each one. I am a Patty superfan, which I think you can very much hear during our conversation. We talk about how she left being a political analyst to start work in food media, only to find her way back to politics through food. We talk about what I see as a remarkable lack of ego in her work, and just all of the intention and stamina that she puts into her show. We talk about how she fills her well and what she's not willing to negotiate. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions for you, and I can't believe I get to ask them. (laughs) Can we start, can you just introduce yourself? I like to just have everyone introduce themselves in their own words. Of course. Um, I'm Patty Hinich. Do you like, do you want me to describe like who I think I am? (laughs) I'd love to know who you think you are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's a hard question. Yeah. Okay. I'm Patty Hinich. I am a Mexican Jewish immigrant in the U.S. and a very hard working mom and wife, I guess. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That seems to be true. <laughs> All of those things seem to be true. <laughs> and I also cook a little and write a little. Yeah. And love to travel. Um anyway, and I've tried to combine all of those things into what I do, which has made Julia my personal and professional life a complete blur. <laughs> um because my personal has become my professional, mm. you know. I I appreciate you just naming that like right off the bat because that is something I definitely identify with and I can imagine people listening who maybe they don't also write cookbooks or you know like both <laughs> of us do maybe they're not on TV the way you are like all these different things but I think a lot of us are living lives where our professional and personal are combining and I I know I find that very hard to navigate and I guess I'm wondering with you what are some best practices or do you have any tips for a friend (laughs) do you create any boundaries within that or oh my gosh yes yes and I feel like it's been it's been a process that it it hasn't always been the same it's been an evolution and 
for me, it's been very important to have everything that I do be very real and authentic. Okay, where to begin with these with these really important questions? <laughs> okay, I switched careers from being a political analyst to a cook because I felt like I wasn't contributing as much as I could to the community, to the world, to the countries that I'm indebted to. Um, and when I switched careers and I started doing food writing, I wanted to transfer from doing political analysis, which I, I really don't like politics. So I don't know why I was doing that in the first place. <laughs> but anyway, you get on a track and you feel like you need to follow that track. Um, but when I switched to, to food writing, I didn't know it at the time, but I was on a path of like self-discovery, you know? Um, it's been a process where I've, I, I really wanted to share after I moved to the U.S. I really wanted to share everything that I missed from Mexico. I wanted to share Mexican culture, Mexican people, Mexican cuisine. I wanted to break myths and preconceptions about who we Mexicans are after I moved to the U.S. But little by little, I've realized that the one who has learned the most about my own home country and my own people and my own persona is me. Mm. Um, and it's been so humbling and so fascinating. And Julia, um, I started, for example, and I'm going to go in, in, in very disorganized because my, my mind just <laughs> tends to go in a thousand different ways. But um, so when, when I started Patty's Mexican Table, to give you an example, I really wanted to do it in my home kitchen. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it in the set. I um, I was offered the opportunity to have a show that wasn't Mexican and that had nothing to do with Mexico and that would have me uh, erase my accent and do something completely different because mm. the Mexicans seem to be too niche, too ethnic, too, too cornered. And I was so stubborn in wanting to do the Mexican, the not erasing my accent, the showcasing exactly what I was missing and wanting to share that it was very important for me to do it in my kitchen with my tools, with my comal, with my spoons. And so there's that trade-off when you're doing it in your space, you're sharing who you are. Yeah. Uh, and you're sharing your family and you're sharing your stories. And in, in your question about, did you ever set boundaries? Um, yeah, I definitely did. When I first began, like I refused to have my kids on the show. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, I wanted them to have their privacy and and I didn't want what I did for my professional life to impact them um, in, a, in a very strong way, you know? And so they were only, if you see season one and season two of Paris Mexican Table, which I hope you really don't because they weren't <laughs> great seasons, they were only in the little intro package yeah. of the show, just showing that I have kids, you yeah. know? And it was that like I'm, pictures I'm not... almost, yeah. Exactly, yeah, it was yeah. like pictures. But then as the years moved on, slowly, it's like the show started becoming part of my life, you mm -hmm. know? And part of my life is being here at home and with my family. And when we... When I traveled to Mexico, for example, as the seasons moved on from one region to the other, I didn't want to leave them. They were so young. I started missing birthdays and school occasions. So I started 
trying to plot the trips to Mexico to when they could come with me. So slowly but surely, they started being a part of it. And and I was also loving it because I want them to. I wanted them to get to know the Mexico I was re-experiencing. So mm-hmm. Mex- the Patty's Mexican Table started with my taking whoever would want watch the show to the Mexico that I missed and I knew and I loved, which was mm-hmm. Mexico City, Puebla, Oaxaca. But as the seasons moved on, I wanted to get to know the Mexico I didn't know. Yeah. And so it was not only in, in the beginning, it was taking my audience and my kids because they were born here in America. It was showing them the Mexico I wanted them to get to know, the Mexico I missed. But then it was as I was discovering all these new fascinating things, I wanted them to discover it with me. Yeah. And it was the same with my audience. So it's been um, super blessing because it's, it's been so humbling when you know that you know so little and there's so much more to know. It's these fascinating yeah. things, you know? But anyway, I know I went to a completely no. different direction. I love it. No blurred lines. <laughs> no, no. The, uh, like I tried to set uh, boundaries, but the more the time has gone by, I've realized it's just you're sharing who you are. And that means, you know, you're sharing who you are. Yeah. Um, I love where you went. <laughs> I think you totally <laughs> answered it. And I just can say as a viewer, as like an avid watcher of your show, all of that comes through. I've always felt with your show, I mean, I've, I've worked on the production end of some PBS shows, so I have an idea of how much hard work and organizing goes into it. But I do get the feeling watching your show that these trips and the things you're cooking, I have the sense that you would love to do this anyway, whether a camera was there or not. (laughs) And that kind of like enthusiasm for what you're doing and what you're learning. I mean, it really comes through and I really view your show as just a gift to us that we get to come with you. I mean, it's really extraordinary. And yeah, I, I think the way you've navigated the personal professional I know that's different for everyone, but it just feels um, honest <laughs> the way you've gone about <laughs> it. So I personally feel a real connection uh, to your youngest because my family, they call me Juju. <laughs> so, oh! <laughs> so every time you say Juju, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm right here. Um, I think you just, you just brought up so many things that one thing I'm thinking about a lot is this idea of these uh, more recent episodes, or I'm sorry, seasons of your show have been about places you're learning about and you are coming in as a student very much. And I think that so often people who, you know, host television shows or write books or, you know, have any position sort of within media, you're often sort of seen as an authority figure more than like a student. And I'm wondering how you navigate that. Like if someone calls you to, I don't know, speak at some event or something as like the authority on Mexican cooking or (laughs) travel. Like, how do you approach that question? The difference between sort of being an authority figure and just being sort of within media? Yeah. Oh my God. This is such an amazing and fascinating question. And um, I think that yeah, I started, you know, as we were saying, like sharing the things I knew and that I was revisiting. Um, and I, oh my gosh, I researched so much. I remember, Julia, for the very first cooking class that I taught at the Mexican Cultural Institute, I practiced that first class um, like three months. <laughs> and, wow. and like at night I had 
left my my two older kids then they were very little and I remember that I would instead of telling them like night stories there was these um these made up a uh, monkey that I started telling them stories about his name was Waba Waba and every night <laughs> you know there would be a new adventure of Waba Waba and I think we were all ready when Waba Waba was escaping the jungle and going to college and I was like, okay, we're going to stop talking about Waba Waba. Now I'm going to teach you how to make sofis. And it was like three months of every night telling my kids how to make sofis and chicken tinga. And I, they still remember, you know, I would say, I want to welcome you to the Mexican wow. culture. You do, no, no, no. I want to give you a warm welcome to the Mexican. So I think, you know, I had been a researcher, like I mm. honed my craft as a, when I did political science, like it was all about the research and the thorough research. So. I brought that to the cooking and that's why I enrolled in culinary school because I felt if I'm going to move from political analysis to food writing, I need to have my academic chops. I need to know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. So I did a lot of research in order to have a sense of I can tell people how to do this because I've researched and I've experienced it and I have the memories. And so it started that way. Um, but as the years went on, as you're saying, I realized that there was so much more to learn. And I found it fascinating to take people with me as I learned it. And I find that being humble and showing that you don't know it all, but that you want to learn and you want people to learn along with you, it's more exciting Then somebody telling you, I know it all and here's mm -hmm. what it is. And there's only one way to do it. Like as a student, because I love to learn. I If I could go back to school, I would do it again and again <laughs> and again. You know, uh, the teachers that I've been the most drawn to are the teachers that are not afraid to show you their vulnerabilities. Mm. And they're not afraid to tell you a little bit about their fears or the challenges. And mostly you get excited about discovering things with them. Yeah. So it's not like I planned it like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, excited about new things. It just happened that I started getting really excited about the people I didn't know, the places I didn't know, the foods I didn't know. And I didn't want to go back to what I already knew. It was so boring to me, you know, yeah. and it was so anyway. Uh, it's gotten a little to an extreme, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You know, because we went, you know, I think um, at, by season seven is when there was a really big change when we went to the Baja Peninsula uh -huh. and it was like, okay, this is completely new to me. And we did a road trip and we started at the wall yes. and I've always been very um, politically incorrect in that I'm very transparent. I will tell you what I, think no matter what whether there is a microphone or not and mm -hmm. and I've stayed away from politics because I don't like politics you know and um and with that season we delved into political themes you yeah. know it was like I, I I moved away from political science to the kitchen to food because I felt that was a safer space where walls come down and you can talk about anything If I'm a Jew, if I'm a Mexican, if I'm an immigrant, we can talk about things because I'm going to share my chicken soup. I'm going to share my tacos mm -hmm. and that just makes us connect. I felt safer in the kitchen. And I really wanted to stay about away from difficult and political topics. But I started coming round circle and coming into those things. But I started coming back to the political, the substantial, the social mm -hmm. 
after delving into food and and I was very excited about it. And he was like, wait, but I didn't want to do politics. I didn't want to do difficult things. And there I was standing at the wall, you yeah, know, yeah. talking about Tijuana. And, th- and I found that there was a way to talk about it where I could be open about what my position was, but I could show that I could listen, you know, yes. and communicate. And I wanted to give, um, the, I, I wanted to increasingly, the more that I could, use my platforms to for to have people share their stories and a lot of things happened along the way first of all we started going to places that have much more difficult themes like Tijuana and the wall mm-hmm. then after that it was like okay you know it was it was good people watched it I mean or at least they didn't cancel the show you know <laughs> and it was more fascinating it was like talking about migration not only from mexicans to the u.s but from mexicans inside of mexico and that is also very criticized you know within Mm. mexico and um and after that it was like okay i think next season we have to go to mochis and to sinaloa and because everybody's talking about narcos and i Mm -hmm. knew many people from sinaloa that are hardworking families with incredible values of like virtues like honesty and um selflessness Mm -hmm. and Sinaloa feeds most of Mexico with its produce and its exports and I felt like we were only listening to one story about Sinaloa which is El Chapo and Narcos you know and people there deserve a a shot and they're exhausted and they're tired and anyway so it was like I'm gonna go there it was challenging uh, my team wasn't very excited because mm. they were all watching Narcos and mm-hmm. it was um, and it's risky I mean Julia it, it, it's risky we had to have bodyguards you mm-hmm. know when we when we explored but there was something in me that said my platforms are worth nothing if I'm not willing to take a risk and to go into substantial themes and topics and to bring the microphone to those who don't have a microphone yeah. And so we went to Sinaloa and did amazing, well, I feel amazing stories and ate amazing food and learned so much and got enriched so much from all these human connections. And from there, it was like, okay, now we're going to go back to the border again. Let's go mm-hmm. to Sonora, Arizona. So it was like more challenging, more challenging. And at the same time, the content of the show has evolved a lot because if you watch and this just goes through the times and it's like trying to ju- judge something with hindsight, right? When we first started Patty's Mexican Table, everything was in English. When I was in Mexico, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, the production team, they're all Americans and the audience of PBS is mostly American. So I was required and I was asked to please translate everything to English to the camera so that the audience could understand. So if, I was, if you're Mexican and I'm with you in Mexico and we had a conversation in ma- in Spanish, I would translate it to camera. In the moment. In the moment. Yeah. And that made a disconnect between me Absolutely. and the people I'm connecting because then they have to wait. They don't know what you're saying. They don't know how you're translating and there's no flow, right? Mm-hmm. But that's how it needed to be because they were afraid that if not, people wouldn't understand and they wouldn't watch. As the years have gone by, we've done more and more. When I'm in Mexico now, everything is in Spanish. The conversation flows. The connections are genuine. And I am not speaking for the people and I'm not translating for them. They have the agency. And they're telling their stories however they want. And then we just subtitle. 
And, and for me, that's the fair game. But one thing has happened that has been crucially important. The American audience is ready now for that. They were not ready for that a few years ago. My show would have been canceled and then mm. I wouldn't have the opportunity to do this now and people wouldn't have watched, you know, and nobody. So I think we have to understand how, you know, one evolves, but how the audience evolves, just like saying people weren't ready for tongue tacos or for um, nopalitos, you know, 10 years ago, they are now. So I think, you know, I'm, I know I'm talking about a lot of different things, but it's just that the show has evolved so much, not only in where we go and, and what we've done, but the content and how I just try to, to, to bring in the people, the stories, and as many as I can. If you watch a show now, you will see one episode has three, four stories, you know, from different people in Mexico, producers and chefs and artists. And in the beginning, it was one and then cooking in the kitchen because that's what was expected, more mm -hmm. cooking in the kitchen. Now we've ventured more of let's cook there. And that's because the audience palate, appetite um, has widened and opened and they're willing to get more from the source. Whereas before they wanted it, they demanded it translated. Yeah. You just shared so many important things. You just, I have this page of questions I've been thinking to ask you and you just answered so many of them. Oh no. And no, please don't, no apologies. It's, it's remarkable to hear you talk about your work and the evolution of it. My wife, Grace, and I have two dogs, Hope and Winky, and they shed a lot. And that's why we keep OXO's Fur Lifter Furniture Brush handy. It makes it so easy to brush our couch and collect everything Hope and Winky leave behind. I even keep one in our car. For more about the Fur Lifter and all of OXO's products, head to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. There's so much connected here, and some themes that are coming to mind hearing you talk about it is... One, the possibility of what happens when you put yourself out there as the anchor of a show and you do it without ego, <laughs> you know, that is extraordinary. It leads to so many wonderful things, including letting other people have their voices heard in their own voice, in their own language. You know, it's really, it's that simple, right? But it makes such a difference. And we feel it watching your show. We really feel it. So I think that lack of ego is just is huge. And the idea of agency is huge. And I also think the sort of full circle in your work, because you're doing political analysis, right? <laughs> but you're just doing it in this very different way. And I love that it just points to that, you know, work can evolve, and it doesn't have to be linear, and it doesn't have to be planned out. Like you started in your kitchen, you're now in these other places, you can still come back to your kitchen and we can come along with you for all of this and you can build that trust. And I just appreciate you talking about how this all hasn't happened with a plan or like <laughs> with a straight line. And I think of you so much as embodying this phrase of that you can sometimes do more or just as much with honey as you can with vinegar. Like there's a kindness to your work, even when you're talking about really serious things. And Okay, I guess that was just my review of, of your show. It's not a question. Um, <laughs> Thank but it's, you so much. But it's, no, it's amazing. So it's amazing. I'm wondering about your about the kindness that comes through and your your joy is like palpable. Like hearing you talk about your work now, you're like smiling, you're laughing. Like you seem to have 
so much happiness inside of you. And I'm wondering if A, does that feel accurate to you? And B, like, how do you fill your well? <laughs> like, how do you keep <laughs> that going? I, oh my gosh, you, you ask really amazing questions. Oh, You're oh. such a great interviewer. <laughs> and, and, and having a conversation with you is so much fun. You're well, so you. insightful. Um, my, my secret is I only talk to people I really want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> this is such joy. Um, oh my God, you're asking me so, such good questions. Um, I feel, Julia, um, I've said this a few times, not too many people, but I feel like my body is too small for the strength of my emotions. Wow. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I am very intense and I feel things so much, you know, and, and just like you see me happy and joyful and when I worry or I'm sad or I'm, it's just as intense, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. um, I feel like it has been such a challenge to put it mildly, to get these series off the ground mm -hmm. um, with a Mexican doing a Mexican cooking show. I mean, it took me almost three years to get the first sponsors to believe in putting some funds into something, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and then every year, as you know, PBS, it's the same thing. You bring the, the production into it. You bring the funding, you bring the partners and for, For PBS, it is companies or foundations or people that really believe in the content and what you're doing. And it is putting yourself out there over and over again, not only as you're saying, like the anchor of it, but you're the one who's selling it and you're the one who has to deliver and you're the one who has to What's your make face? people happy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the most rewarding thing and the thing that keeps on as you say feeling the well and keeps on wanting me doing more i would say are two things um one thing my kids are so proud you mm. know and and that to me just means everything i have three boys who who look up to the role of a woman, mm. who respect the woman that works, who have supported me, who um, who wash the dishes, <laughs> who, you know, we come from Mexico. It's like macho land, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I wanted to give them an example of taking a risk and, and also showing that things can't always be sweet they will always be bittersweet because they've shared my struggles just as much as they've shared, you know, when we go to the ceremonies or when a new season is launched of so like, maybe I tell them too much, you know, how mm. hard it is to fundraise or how challenging it is to try to go to a region where, you know, it may be risky or what, um, but I just getting their feedback and their sense of pride, just, makes me want to continue, you know, keeping them proud about their mom and, and keeping them interested in, in wanting what I do. I have a great example with 
my husband's parents, they're so fascinating. They're always learning new things. They're always challenging themselves. And it keeps us very close to them because they're fun to be with. And you always learn new things. And and I want to never, ever be a burden, you know, for my kids to carry. I want them to be, you know, go something good in their life. So these, these is, I know I went on and on about. No, it's important like to me. I have chills hearing you talk about that. It's really, it's, it's very, very sweet. Um, but the, the other thing is, um, uh, and of course my husband has been, you know, my biggest critic, but my <laughs> biggest supporter as well. So we've gone, we've gone past the point where it's more that he's proud than the criticism, but I have to say the criticism was always very, very, very helpful. Mm. And I appreciate that about that about Danny, he's been incredibly supportive, but, you know, very transparent and blunt um, since the beginning, which has been very constructive and good. Um, But the other thing that gives me the biggest satisfaction is when I get an email that has a photo of someone who cooks something that I did, a recipe that I found in this little mountain, Mm -hmm. in Jinetes de Machado, I tried these dumplings, the sopa de ombligo called belly button soup. And I, get I remember these. <laughs> Those are amazing. <laughs> I get this email from this woman saying, I have not found this recipe. My grandmother used to make it. And thank you so much. Now I'm making it for my kids. Like I'll sit down and cry. Yeah. You know, that's when, where I'm telling you like, the happiness connects with the sad in, in, in me. It's not the sad. It's like the, oh, it's so moving. Like that just makes my work worthwhile. Like I realized that when I wanted to be an academic, Julia, in the beginning, um, before I switched careers, I come from a family of immigrants to Mexico. Um, you know, my parents are, were born in Mexico. I was born in Mexico, in Mexico, but um, some of my grandparents survived the Holocaust and programs in Poland and Mexico welcomed them and they they made Mexico their home. And so I've always felt like, ah, um, my family owes so much mm. to Mexico, you know, and and I wanted to contribute to Mexico and I wanted to contribute to in in whichever idealist way to help strengthen democratic institutions civic culture that's why I wanted to go into political science and then um, when I moved to the U.S. it was I felt this tear between you know now I'm here in the U.S. but I miss Mexico so much I'm so grateful to Mexico and all that it's given my family and then it was like oh now I'm grateful to America too I'm growing roots here too and Mm -hmm. my kids were born here so Oh, I'm indebted to Mexico. I'm indebted to America. And I feel responsible for both to make Mexico proud and to make the US feel like we're welcome here. I always tell this to my kids. You have these double blessings, you have these double responsibility. And by the way, your food, it's I realized that with just this one recipe, you can connect the atomized Mexican community. You know, we're all these Mexicans in the US so atomized fighting, trying to make it happen and trying to connect to Mexico, trying to not only stay connected to our our culture, but also trying to show how we enrich this country. And it's such a struggle. And and you realize that by way of food, you can shine this light of how 
you can be indebted to two countries, to two cultures, to three even. Hey, I'm a Jew too, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, In the beginning, I wouldn't make a matzo ball if you asked me to share a matzo ball too, (laughs) because I was like, wait, I'm Mexican. Like, don't, you know? And now I'm like, yes, like all of my pieces of my puzzle can come together through food. And when you realize that this one recipe has helped somebody connect them to their roots or it has it has helped them to figure out what to cook on a Wednesday night. Yeah. You realize that you can help someone a little, then that fills my well. Yeah. Especially when especially when I get a photo of something yeah. they cooked. It's like, yeah. I I really I hear you and I just it really resonates for me because we um we have very different lives and, and life stories, but we do share the connection of having grandparents who fled Eastern Europe during the pogroms. And it's the same story in my family. And what my maternal grandmother, my mom's mother brought with her were recipes, right? (laughs) And, you know, I never knew her. I never knew my mom's parents. They died long before I was born. But my grandmother's chicken soup is like, it's like, I feel like it's in my blood, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's in my body. And I when it came time that I had the opportunity to do my first cookbook, Small Victories, I knew always what the cover of that book would be. And it's the bowl of my grandmother's chicken soup, you know, and if nothing mm-hmm. else happens in my professional life, I got to memorialize that, right? Like I got to carry that flag in some way. And then to see people make it at home and send pictures or put it on social media, it's it's an incredibly surreal feeling that's really hard to describe. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it's, you know, I think any opportunity we have to connect with the people who consume the work we make it's very powerful because we share these things because they mean something to us. And then to see it means something to someone else, it's like, it's, it's profound. <laughs> it's really uh, profound. so profound. And now, I mean, especially during these times, you realize the fragility, the vulnerability, the relativity of everything. We're here today. We may not be here tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And that my Polish grandfather used to say, truly the only and one thing that you have that remains is your name mm. when you're gone you're underground and you're gone and you're i i like i do like to believe that there's spirits there's souls there you know but for the more realists that believe that <laughs> we just turn to dust you know like all you leave is your name like what are you going to do that will stay after you? And it has nothing to do with vanity of like, oh, you know, it was this person, so-and-so. It's like you left a recipe that helped someone. You left a story that moved someone. You helped people share their stories. You brought the mic to where there was no mic. And, and I feel like it is those things that I really, the more... I get older, Julia, the more it's funny. And I think this just happens to everybody as we age. It's like you hold on more to your past and you want to go deeper into your past. I remember when I was little and my grandparents used to tell me stories. You know, my grandfather used to tell me this story. He came from a very, very, very poor farmland where all he and his family had was like this little shtetl where they had one horse with only one eye. And they used to wabba wabba. Feed... <laughs> <laughs> wabba, wabba. He was a monkey. Like, Sorry. It's so funny because when I share stories, like my sisters will tell me, Patty, 
You share that story of when we were growing up, you know, on Sundays and the brunch, and you make it sound much more magical. Mm. And I'm like, wait, they're like, it wasn't that beautiful. Like, they'll mm. tell me, and I'm like, okay, was there not a fig tree? Yes. <laughs> was there not an apricot tree? Yes. Didn't like say that, you know, our grandfather come? Didn't we love him so much? Yes. Didn't I make those horrible eggs that everybody ended up eating? Yes. That's the story I said, you know? I just chose to look at the figs and the apricots and that everybody ate the eggs. No, I, I didn't write about our parents getting a divorce then, okay? You know, it's like yeah. you choose. And it's not like you, like, like I'll talk about my father's, my parents' divorce. It's fine, but, um, and I'll talk about the struggles, but I also feel like you can choose if you, if you go down the rabbit hole or you choose, you know, what, what is uplifting and what is that you want to share. And in, in that vein, you know, talking about how as the time moves on and as we all get older, how, you know, our, our grandparents used to share these stories that I was too, you know, when you're young, your ears are too distracted to listen. And now <laughs> that they're gone, they can't share the stories anymore. And I remember our grandparents used to try to build the 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 family tree. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, whatever. Now I'm like, where is that family tree? Mm -hmm. You know? So the more you you want to you grow, you want to learn about what you've inherited from the past, from the people who've already gone, like what memories, what stories, what knowledge you can get from them that will help guide you. The more you get older, the more you realize you need guidance, you know? And yeah. then At the same time, it opens more the door to the future to I want to help the most that I can. I want to share the most stories. I want to share the most recipes. I want to tell people like all the mistakes I've made. I get a lot of calls from, from people who want to have a PBS show, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and how did you do it? And who gave you the show? And how did you get it? And wh what was the agent? And, what? and I will share everything, you know, like, I work with WETA, that's my local PBS station. And then you have to go and knock on doors and see if there's foundation or, or companies, as you know, mm -hmm. um, whose products or content is the one that you truly believe in. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and, and then I will share all the mistakes I've made, you know, like when, when somebody, and I'll tell my kids, when somebody shuts a door, like, get up, dust off, and knock on it again, you mm -hmm. know, which I feel like in the beginning, I took it too personal, you sure, know, and somebody yeah. said, no, now, now, if I'm trying to, to have a new sponsor work with us, and they say, no, I don't think it's, they don't like me, I just think they have a better thing that goes better with them, it's fine, you know, yeah. so, um, I, I give that advice of just go for it. Just try the more, the merrier, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I feel like the more we get older, the more we realize the less time we're going to have to keep doing the things we love and you just want to do it better and you want to do it more, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's when you find something that you're willing to be relentless for, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you've like kind of found your thing, right? Like, You wouldn't do all of that. You wouldn't keep dusting yourself off if you didn't care about what you did, I'm assuming. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I have one just um, brief question for you about 
because I think that a lot of people don't realize the difference between a show on public television and cable television or any of the streaming services. It requires you to raise all your own money. And I just, I don't know that that's known. You know, I know people hear the ads at the end and stuff. And <laughs> I've always thought that's a really fascinating part of shows on PBS. And you've sort of brought this up a few times and, you know, reaching out to potential sponsors and stuff. And I'm just wondering, like, when you walk through that door and you're trying to get someone to invest in your show, like, what is, how do you open that conversation? Like, how do you ask for money? <laughs> like, what is your, <laughs> what's your opening line? It is so hard to do. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. This is, I mean, I struggle with these every year and I'll tell you what is the best feeling. When you have found a partner or a sponsor that was willing to bet on you and bet mm. on the, on the program and then you give it your all to deliver and they come back mm. and they come back again and again they're like the sense of gratitude and the sense of bond and the sense of I'm just going to continue to add more value and to deliver more because you know that there's always so many options for everybody to put their resources mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. um, so Okay, so your question was, how do you do it? And I think my, like, like I began because I was very stubborn. I didn't want to erase my accent or change my topic or do something different. You know, I felt like what I was really passionate about was, um, you know, this Mexican world. And it's now grown into like this Mexican Latino north and south of the border because the more I am here in the U.S., the more I feel like not only do, do I want to share the mic with like south of the border, but it's like with north of the border because, you know, there's so many fascinating yeah, stories yeah. here too. And we've done that more in the show as the seasons have moved on. And um, I feel it has been two things, two things. Well, maybe more than two things. One, <laughs> one is that I switch careers later in life. Mm. So I already, you know, I was in my 30s and, and I already had kids and I already was contributing to our family as a family. And it was very risky for me to resign and to do something else. So I really had to give it all, you know? Like when you have so much more to lose, then yeah. you just jump into the cold water. Then when yeah. you're in a safe place, you're like dipping your toes, you know, like I just, I just had to jump all in. Mm -hmm. uh, one, that's one. Uh, the other is ignorance can really be a blip. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. So I, I remember when my oldest son graduated from high school, just recently I was asked to give the keynote speech which I was really flattered you know and my husband said why and I'm like <laughs> I, I'm gonna show you why and I worked on that speech for like six months which I'm telling you it's great when he like questions me because it makes me work harder than he loved the the keynote speech I get but I I I told the kids and I said and of course it's stressful to have all those teenagers look at you especially your own son because you don't want to embarrass them and they're embarrassed already yeah, that sounds like a, a lot of pressure. <laughs> it is. It was a lot of pressure, Julia. Um, but one thing is like 
you always have to know what you're not willing to put on the negotiating mm. table, you know? And this goes for sponsors and partners and anything you may want to do. I was not willing to compromise who I was at my core because um, I wanted to be able to look at myself in the mirror the next day. And what I said was typically it's the things that you feel the most vulnerable about and weak about. Maybe your accent, your looks, your heritage, your, you know, what makes you different, your things that are seen as your weaknesses that people ask you to change all the time. And it can even be family and friends and partners. They're like, oh, change that accent. Oh, Mexican is too niche, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. It may be those things that are the ones that you never put on the negotiating table. They're the ones that you fight for and they're the ones that you're proud of in the long run. So always look at the long term. So in terms of reaching out for sponsors and partners, it's been, um, you know, having that passion, not willing to compromise things that, you know, then you may just need to walk out the door. You know, they're asking you to do things you're not comfortable with. Um, It's very hard because, in the short term, you want to get that partner, you know, you want to get that show of the ground, but always try to look at the, the longer term. And, and the third was, um, don't do that much research. And I know this is not, <laughs> this is not a very American thing to say, well, because people hear prepare, prepare and do mm-hmm. the research and do the work and do the, and I think it's really good to like scan the ground, right. To get an idea of the field of where you're standing, you know, and, but if you do too much research, it's going to stifle you. It's going to freeze you on your tracks. It's going to fill you with fear. I remember when I first started, I, I give this as an example. When I started my Mexican food blog, I'm very picky about my work and it took me a long time to get the photos for our recipe and do the research for that story. So to write a blog post took took me a couple of weeks and, you know, I would do one a month and and I started building my library in my original blog. And I remember friends in the food industry started saying, no, 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 you need to pump out a recipe and a story every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least once a week, if not. And I was like, really? And then I started doing research and I realized there were so many Mexican food blogs out there. So many that were pumping out so much content. And it was, okay, do you want to compete or do you want to do what you do Mm. well? Mm -hmm. I was hoping that people would really appreciate that my recipe from my story was tested to death. It was like a magic potion. If you try my recipe, it's going to work. And I was hoping that my my story was interesting because it shared a little more research. It said, and so it's and I and I regretted doing that research then because I was like, should I just stop doing the blog? And that's just like a small example. But I feel if you do too much research, if you're comparing too much, it freezes you, and then you can't just jump and give it yeah. all you got. Yeah. So I know it's not the best advice to say just jump into the water and do, don't do research. But really, that's what I feel like saying. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I think it's a great example. <laughs> I guess jump in if it's water you want to swim in, right? Like if it's not for you, it's not for you. Exactly. Um, I, You'll realize how cold it is once you're in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're swimming, right? <laughs> um, I could ask you like 1,200 more questions. I love talking to you and I appreciate your time. And before I let you go, 
I just have one super quick question that I ask everyone. It's the final question. And I ask you not to overthink it and just tell me yeah. the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Um, what was your favorite thing to eat when you were a little kid? Oh, that's so easy. That's a milanesa empanizada, which is like the Mexican chicken schnitzel, milanesa mm. de pollo. And it's not only my favorite thing to eat when I was growing up, it's my favorite thing to eat <laughs> right now. <laughs> like a chicken milanesa with mashed potatoes and like a chayote salad. Like I can eat that every day of my life. So, so I have good. chicken, I have milanesa empanizada in my freezer because I make them in advance. When my oldest son went to college, we drove him to Philadelphia and I had um, a cooler with... 30 chicken schnitzel <laughs> that I put in his freezer. Amazing. Amazing. What a gift. Um, I love that the thing you love the most when you were young continues to be your favorite thing. And I just think it just seems to me you've consistently just been yourself forever. And thank you for sharing so much of you with all of us. It's really meaningful. Oh, thank you, Julia. This has been really delightful. And I hope we continue the conversation in many ways. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks again to OXO for supporting Keep Calm and Cook On. Head to OXO.com. That's O-X-O dot com for more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Keep Calm and Cook On. Head to JuliaTertian.com for more about the show and for all of the information about my new cookbook, Simply Julia. A pre-ordered copy is a gift to your future self. Please consider ordering one today from your favorite bookseller. If you'd like a signed copy, head to juliatertian.com slash simplyjulia and check out the information about personalized copies from Oblong Books, one of my favorite booksellers. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, take care.